Dr. Kevin Smith currently leads uh, the Baltimore, Maryland, Delaware uh, Convention. Right? He's the executive director. He uh, hails from all over. Uh, he has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a church planner, a conference speaker, and a short-term missionary. He studied at Hampton University, the Church of God Theological Seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also subsequently served on Southern's faculty for um, almost a decade now. In 2015, while serving Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, he was elected president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Kevin and his wife, Patricia, have been married, um, and they have three adult children, two great nephews. Uh, his hobbies, he loves doing whatever his kids are doing, and he loves riding on his Harley. So if you like Harleys or coffee, see him later. Um, please welcome, um, oh, I wanted to do this also and make this known. He, um, his ministry is modeled by a John 17 um, uh, type of ministry. So please, uh, after this, take some time, ask him some questions, glean from him. Uh, please let's welcome Dr. Kevin Smith. Thank you. I greet you in the name of Christ, our Lord, who's the head of the church, encountered a joy uh, to be here. Uh, greet you on behalf of uh, over 500 Baptist churches in Maryland and Delaware that are seeking to be about the Great Commission. Thank you, Pastor, Pastor Joel, for this invitation, and thank you for hosting and convening this conference. Uh, this is an extremely important matter for us to talk about. Uh, I was going to ask you to turn to Psalms 119, uh, but thankfully I don't have to do that. I know how people get in the afternoon after lunch, and so Brother Shy has done some of the explanation of the text in the context of Psalms 19, and so let me do an extended application uh, from the things that he has, uh, he has shared. And I certainly thank the Lord for being with him and being with Brother Tabidi earlier today and Pastor Joel, Pastor Montrell, as they have shared some things from the Word. <clears throat> I feel like I was kind of put behind the eight ball because uh, my email said, prepare a talk and be prepared to take some questions and and these brothers start breaking out sermons and expositions of scripture to be to say, I'm going to preach a sermon. I was like, oh man, well, you know, I'm going to do a talk and answer some questions. <laughs> <laughs> the sufficiency of scripture. Um, is scripture enough? One of my irritations in parts of Bible believing Christianity um, is there some parts of, uh, of the Christian body in America who have come through what 20 and 30 and more than 30 years ago was called the battle for the Bible. Some people who are very proud and happy to have said we came through the Bible, battle for the Bible and we stand upon the Bible. Well, then those things that Brother Shai mentioned is necessary, their lives, their church order, 
the way they think, the way they process, the way they analyze things does not reflect that they care about the Bible. And so I always want to ask them, why in the world would you fight for the authority of the Bible if you're not going to live according to the sufficiency of the Bible? Who fights for an insufficient scripture? I mean, were you really about the scripture or did you just like fight? Did you just want to be like the winner? We won the battle for the Bible. Now let's go on and live like people who don't love, believe the Bible. What kind of sense does that make? Now, if you study history, I teach history, you, really, you understand people do nonsensical things all the time. But that, that, that made no sense. And so we want to make sure that we believe. Um, let me give you the most basic language. The most basic language is kind of in the, um, in 1758, there were the, the, the Sandy Creek Baptist Association. They wrote a brief confession uh, that had like 10 bullet points. I, I like Sandy Creek, especially when I'm meeting unbelievers or new believers and those kind of things because it's kind of short because... Uh, Second London Confession in Philadelphia, Charleston Baptist Confession. All those confessions had paragraphs and pages. Um, And then New Hampshire, which was the model for the Baptist faith and message, they have paragraphs, fewer sentences and all those kind of things. Sandy Point is like right in my territory because they have sentences. (laughs) So whether you are in... If you look in the hymn book, if you're in a National Baptist Convention church, if you look in the New National Baptist hymnal, you'll see this kind of language from the New Hampshire Confession. Um, You'll see this kind of confession in Methodism. You see this kind of confession in a whole lot of Bible-believing Christianity from like the 12th century on. And it says something like this. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament are the word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. And so a sufficiency question is, am I living my life and do I live my life in such a way that reflects that I believe that the scripture is the only rule for faith and practice? Sola Scriptura comes up in the Reformation context of the battle between those who would eventually become Protestants and the hierarchy and the superstructure of what was emerging to be formal Roman Catholicism. So this is a church word. This is a among believers type discussion. And so I was so thankful for the answer Brother Shy gave to one of the questions. Evangelistically, this is, pro- this is not part of your evangel- evangelism presentation. Uh, if someone is a raw unbeliever, if someone is not even considering the authority of God, the beginning of our discussions are usually around things of general revelation or the things that he was saying about the things that we see in nature and all those kind of things. Because to talk about the authority of the scripture uh, to your skeptical, unbelieving friend is like when Moses told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? Who's God? (laughs) 
So that's not the line of approach. Matter of fact, our line of approach in the world is much more formed by 1 Corinthians 1. But we preach Christ, foolishness, and a stumbling block. The Jews seek after uh, uh, signs and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ and Christ crucified. So, so Sola Scriptura, this is very much a us discussion. When I say a us discussion, I mean among the body. So it's not like I'm tripped out because the world's not reflecting the Bible. The world, I don't expect the world to reflect the Bible. You know, last year, every year, every four years in political campaigns, Christians talk about the Bible and Scripture like they really think the world, the, the society around us gives a jack about the Bible. <laughs> this is us. When I say us, I mean the body of believers. Well, one thing we really must do is, is I find Christians tremendously, so this reflects a lack of biblical understanding, Christians are tremendously uncomfortable with the language of us and them, and us and them is all through the New Testament. Us and them is all through the Scripture. God's preparing the Israelites to go into the promised land. Now, when y'all get over to the promised land that I'm going to give you and I'm sending you into the promised land, God says to them, don't be like them. Us and them is biblical. And the fact that so many Christians are uncomfortable with us and them reflects the biblical illiteracy of the church world. So this is a church situation. Are we living as if Christ is Lord and we submit to his word? And um, that's quite quite a challenge in Western civilization. The lordship of Christ and the authority and sufficiency of his word assumes a certain kind of posture. Lord, master, king, that means I ain't. And and there's one profession that has been the consistent profession of the Christian church through all her history, through any language and culture. And that is that little three-word profession, confession, Jesus is Lord. Well, the flip side of that confession is, I ain't Lord. But let me tell you where we live. We live in Western, autonomous, individualistic Europe, North America, Europe, America, and Canada. So, 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 so we got some issues that like saints in Africa and Asia and South America don't have. The Bible is communitarian. And those cultures are communitarian, Hispanic cultures, Asian cultures, African cultures. We live in Eurocentric Western world, which is very individualistic. We learned a poem in freshman orientation at Hampton. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And the closing line, it was called Invictus. The closing line says, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. That's Western civilization thinking right there. 
And you see how that pushes against Jesus as Lord? And if we innately push against Jesus as Lord, of course we're going to push against his word. The word of God matters because of who God is. I love talking to people and say, man, we just need to kind of get our country together and just love your neighbor. I say, oh, why, why, why should we love our neighbor? I mean, because, you know, I mean, have you heard that saying? No, no, who said, who, where'd you get that from? Only reason love your neighbor means anything is if the person who said love your neighbor means anything. That's the, that's the fault of the social gospel. Let's have the social teachings of Jesus, but let's just try to remove all that stuff about the unique, unique person and work of Jesus. If we don't have the unique person and work of Jesus, you won't submit to his words as Lord. Sola Scriptura. The reformers were saying, and I'm only saying that because I was invited to this conference because I'm not like a big reformer guy because they, they really didn't like Baptists. So. <laughs> so I don't hype them like that. So, um, And then also just evangelistically, the kind of people I engage with in colonialism and Eurocentrism and all that, it's just much easier for me. Everything the reformers said, they were trying to get back to what the fathers said. So just say what the fathers said because it's African and Asian and it's much more, ooh. Um, but the reformers were saying to the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church, Scripture can trump tradition. And if there's ever a conflict between Scripture and tradition, Scripture has the final word, or Scripture is the sole, sola, sole authority. Thus that Luther quote, here I stand, I can do no other. I won't be convinced by popes or councils or traditions because Scripture is the final authority. So a good question for us is, is Scripture our final authority? I mean, I I, I do want to balance two things here. There's people who resist the, the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. But there are also people that just, we, we just live in a world of biblical illiteracy. And, and so everybody, m- many people in the church are not rebellious. They're just ignorant. I mean, a couple from Kentucky, from Ohio moved to our church, moved to Kentucky. They started coming to our church. And, and I remember they came in the office. They said, you know what? Um, we knew Christians and we don't really know anything. But a few times when you talked about, they, they said, you always say cohabitation and shacking and living. They said, you always say that like it's nasty. I said, it is. <laughs> and we started talking about marriage and God's design and all those kind of things. And like, this was like Sunday. And like Monday, they was at like the court place doing some paperwork. And like Wednesday, they was like in my office. And we did like a in the office let me call a deacon and let me call a mother of the church to witness this type marriage because they were like, oh, yeah, we don't want to be wrong before God. So they, they, they weren't rebelling 
Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. They weren't rebelling against the authority or the sufficiency of Scripture. They were just ignorant of it. So most of my ministry, I've said, I, I, most of my ministry, I've said, I'd never have ill will towards people in the pews. Because most of them just reflect the clowns in their pulpits. I'm never mad at the people in the pews. I'm always mad at people in the pulpits. I'm a, I'm a people's preacher. I always hang with my church members. I don't really hang out too much with preachers because I just don't like them. Because some of them are scared. Some of them don't believe the sufficiency of Scripture. Some of them are cowardly in their proclamation. And preachers just irritate me. I'd much rather be with a, somebody that was saved yesterday. <laughs> sufficiency means the soul. Don't think of soul as only. Think of soul as final. When there's some dispute, the final word belongs to God. So, uh, in, the, in the historical context, this is Luther talking about the scripture as he understood justification in the book of Romans, and he's talking about the traditions or the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. So, let me stretch this up to your life. We'll stretch a little bit past Luther, and we'll add something to tradition. Uh, there's something called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which kind of talks about how, which lays out a model for how we analyze things, how we decide things, how we observe things. And the Wesleyan quadrilateral is just simply scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Most times you see those things drawn, most times you see those things drawn just like a square. And, you know, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And I'm always challenging people that you really want to like think of it like a a square that's kind of like shifted. So you have scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. So the question of sola scriptura in the modern world is simply among believers. This is among believers. Can the word of God, do I believe the word of God, number one, is a rule for faith and life. So everything, uh, 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 Brother Shia said the big questions. Everything major about life, God has revealed to me. Everything important about life, God has revealed to me. Um, I love like doing some evangelist engagement sometimes with skeptical people. Well, the, what is God's will for this? And what is God's will? And I, I love when I can tell them, uh, I don't know, he don't care. Uh, I've been the chaplain for different high school football teams through um, FCA. And uh, I love when we pray before the game or I do a devotional and you know, at the beginning of the season, they were like, are you going to pray for us to win? I was like, no, God don't care if you win. Um, I said, I'm, I'm going to pray you don't get hurt. I'm going to pray. I pray a lot of stuff. I ain't going to pray you. God don't care if you win. Um, the scripture is sufficient for the things that matter. Particularly about life and godliness. So I see at least some major ways where we come up short is because, I mean, many people, we don't know how to respond to stuff because we don't know the character of God. So when there's a, when there's a calamity or a tragedy, people are always like, where's God? I understand the media asking that. I don't understand church folk asking that. 
I mean, when I was like 11 in Sunday school, some old lady read Isaiah 45, and God says, I create light and I create darkness. I send goodness and I send calamity. I mean, I was like third grade. It was like, our God is in the heavens. He's done whatsoever he has pleased. I mean, I expect Peter Jennings to be confused on 9-11. I don't expect the spirit-filled saints of God submitting to the authority of Scripture to be confused on 9-11. Last year, people like, man, I don't understand these choices we got. How can our country have such... Low choices for President of the United States. I'm like, what Bible do you read? The Bible says you reap what you sow. We live in a jacked up country, so we should have jacked up choices. A Hugh Hefner female objectifying culture, an abortion culture, a redesigning, uh, uh, trying to redefine marriage culture coming out of the previous administration. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are the exact choices that match our culture. What Bible reader is confused about that? Only people that's been like smoking that crack that America is a Christian nation. That's the only people confused about that. Nobody who has read the Bible is confused about that. God said, I will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And so wherever you go in the past and draw a trajectory according to the scriptures, it makes sense for us to be right where we are right now. I remember sitting down with my daughter and just talking about how the world is and how she's viewed as a female and her body and section, all those kind of things. And uh, I mean, I didn't do like the world history of womanhood and feminism. I just started in the 60s. I was like, so this is how virtue and authority and all those kind of things are going to change. Uh, this is how the esteem of femininity is. I just showed her, I just showed her, the, I just showed her womanhood in America since the 60s. So uh, beware. So let's ask you about those three things. Can the scripture check my tradition? That's a real question for every believer. Can the scripture check my reason? Reason there meaning rationalism, your, 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 your ability to reason coming out of the enlightenment. Now, 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 I always tell people, and I'm so, ooh, I'm so happy that brother's mentioning Discovery and Animal Channel. My wife and I love Animal Channel. You know what? Okay, so you, you, you can glorify God like when the choir is kicking it and we praising the Lord together. Oh, but my wife and I, we can glorify God when we can see how many animals have, I mean, you know, like since we were talking about the 60s, like we got kind of a freaky culture, but we ain't got nothing on the animals. Uh, the amount of ways they can recreate. I mean, the, there's animals that can like recreate by themselves. Don't even need. So sometimes my wife and I, we watch like the animal channel. We're like, "Woo, God, you are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you are. So, so, so Psalms 19 is like in technicolor on the Discovery Channel. The heavens declare the, firm, the glory of God and the firmament declares his glory, his handiwork and all that, that, the animal creation. And when you think about that, to think that we, though, are created in the image and the likeness of God. Ah! So the Christian does not downplay reason. I am happy to live near John Hopkins Hospital. When my brother and sister were giving their testimony, I'm happy for some of the studies that go on at John Hopkins, some of the studies that go on at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm happy for the things we can study. My church members that have been dentists, I don't like them. (laughs) But when I go into their office, I'm happy that they use their reason to study at school. I, 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 you know, I, I, I want a dentist that's done more than just read the Bible. <laughs> I was so happy. He said, you can, just, you can achieve worldly success without the Scripture. But when there's a conflict between tradition and Scripture, when there's a conflict between my reason and Scripture, when there's a conflict between my experience in Scripture, sola scriptura means, oh, Scripture gets the final word. Especially since after about 10 years old, you realize how fickle you are. You sure not going to trust your experiences. So where are we? Many, many so-called Bible-believing Christians, many so-called, I don't use this word, but many so-called evangelicals uh, live much more by their feelings than by Scripture. Many people are led by tradition and are unwilling to have that tradition checked by Scripture. It's all right to have tradition. Just don't act like your tradition is as authoritative as Scripture. I baptize in our churches. The churches I've pastored, I baptize. Um, If it's a big brother, I'll take a deacon in there with me. And I just kind of like fake it. say, Brother Tommy, I know you, you're going to really lay them down and lift them up. I'm just going to flow with y'all and act like I'm doing it. <laughs> but I know churches, when I was president of Kentucky Baptist Convention, we had churches that were just really evangelistic, and they wanted to encourage their members to share the gospel with people. And in those churches... If you shared the gospel with somebody and the Lord changed their life, if they wanted to and you wanted to, you could baptize them. Now, the tradition in the churches I served was like that the pastors did the baptism. And if the pastors wasn't doing the baptism, some of the old ladies in my church would have tripped out. But the dude that was down there in that church where members could baptize if they shared the gospel, I remember he and I had a conversation and say, look, first of all, I'm not trying to convict your conscience before the Lord. I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong. Uh, since you asked, I just want to tell you why we do what we do and why we wouldn't do what you do. 
Can we distinguish the authority of Scripture, which is able to convict the conscience of the believer and which usually can the conviction of the Holy Spirit will follow? Can we, can, can we distinguish that from tradition, which should be, hopefully by Christians, informed by tradition, informed by Scripture, but our tradition is not the same as Scripture. Reason. I, said, well, I, I like science. Christians ought not be scared of science. And the, the, the Christianity science dichotomy is a false dichotomy. Science tells us about the wonderful creation that God has made. I mean, the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but it doesn't tell you how your prostrate works. Hey, one time in Kentucky, and it was a serious moment. I was preaching this, well, I was preaching, I was talking about the glory of God and the holiness of God, and we ought to bow before a holy God. And I meant to say, and we ought to just fall prostrate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I met this, I met this real serious moment of the sermon, and people started laughing. And I'm totally offended. And then I look at my wife and she's like. <laughs> we got to fall prostrate. So biology, chemistry, all of that. Science will never, never. Oh, I'm glad we're here in a, on a stage. Science will never do like Toto and pull a curtain back and find that Genesis 1 and 1 was not true, and there's really an old man back here pushing a bike. All science will do is show us how fascinating and marvelous God's creation is. And if you watch show, if you watch those shows, I like on those shows when the science the scientist talks for like an hour and they asking questions and they asking questions and then about minute fifty they say, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Ah, I love it when the scientist says, we don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are the doctor. Yes, you are the dentist. Yes, you are the physicist. Yes, you are the geologist. Yes, you are the archaeologist. And you went to, you studied more than I do, and you had a real major in college, but you're still finite. Y'all don't know that lingo, do you? When I was at Hampton, it was like three real majors. Architecture, nursing, and anything in the hard sciences. And they all looked down at the rest of us. I was an accounting major, like. <laughs> Here's the last one that's really hard. Our experience is our experience, but our experience can be checked by Scripture. Experience should keep us from prejudice and generalizations and stereotypes. I'm sorry. Scripture should teach us from prejudice, keep us from prejudice, generalizations, and stereotypes. 
Because I tell you, sometimes experience can push you there. And your experience needs to be checked by Scripture. Sometimes stuff goes down and, you know, sometimes you're at a rough moment and you're just like, you know what? Man, all these brothers in the National Baptist Convention, they always like, when you coming back home, man? We got, a, we got tons of church. Man, come on back home. And, and, and sometimes they say that on the very day when I'm like, man, I'm sick of these Southern Baptists. <laughs> and the sufficiency of Scripture reminds you that if you look throughout the whole New Testament, the church is jacked up. The sufficiency of Scripture, if Scripture has the final word, then it garners your expectations of other people. I need to stop. I'm supposed to take my wife on a date. <clears throat> I was kind of hoping shower was late so we could switch. <laughs> but he got here, and I'm glad he got here because he exposited the scripture that I want to expose. And if I did the scripture and the application, you see I would have been twice as long. Um, your experience is real, but it can't be your final authority. The stuff that you've studied is real and it's good and it's helpful. And I hope it's helping you in your career. And I hope it's a field that you enjoy. And I hope it's a study that you enjoy. But it can't be your final authority. And if you have religious traditions and spiritual traditions, they can be real and good and helpful. But they can't be your final authority. My tradition, I'm used to, I, I, I mean, we, we had a wonderful time praising the Lord today. But uh, my tradition, I, I, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Let me show you how strong tradition is. But I just praise the Lord differently when there's a Hammond B3 organ in the place. But your tradition can be checked by Scripture when you remind yourself, you know what? God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to throw down today. And I've grown. As a matter of fact, my, my, after the Hammond B3 organ, my second favorite mode of worship is just a basic acoustic guitar because you can hear the people's voices. Can my reason, experience, and traditions be checked? And most times, with biblical illiteracy and a lack of accountable preaching and accountability of the church, we don't have those things challenged. God's word ain't never told you America's a special nation. Our traditions told us that. And I came here from passing a red, white, and blue church. I had to remind you, we, we believe these things and you feel good about this kind of stuff, but this is, this is like our tradition. I mean, God didn't say we're the greatest nation on earth. We just believe, we believe we're the greatest nation on earth. Now, the Constitution is the flyest document ever. But, I mean, we wrote it and didn't, like, live by it from day one. But, I mean, it's the flyest, <laughs> it's the, it's, it's the flyest document ever. 
So can my, can, can my traditions, can my experience, can my reason be checked? And if you're not used to being checked by the lordship of Jesus, then you're not used to being checked by anything. You know why Brother Shylin and the congregation had to work so hard pulling that brother back? Because just the elders talking to him wasn't sufficient because we're not used to being checked. It took the collective body of the congregation and overwhelmed him with love for him to say, you know what, this check is for my benefit because we're not used to being checked. Sola Scriptura says the sole or the final checking authority is Scripture. Where scripture doesn't speak, you should feel comfortable examining reason, experience, and tradition. Where scripture speaks, you should still engage those things, but realize they can be checked by scripture. Uh, Let's have some questions. Hello, my sister. Hello, my brother. Oh, hold on. Hello, my brother. <laughs> thank you for that. Basically, thank you. You mentioned biblical illiteracy. Uh, could you speak to some types of spiritual disciplines or habits that we um, can learn um, as believers as we try to become yeah. literate? Um. I was real convicted something Brother Tabidi said during his talk. Uh, He was mentioning how the slaves wanted literacy so they could read the Bible because they knew that they were receiving a truncated understanding of the Bible where um, <laughs> you can read narratives say this thick book, the Bible is amazing. How all that thick book says is servants obey your masters. He's like, that's a, that's a lot of words. Just say, so, so the slaves wanted to read because they knew they were having, they, 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 they knew, they knew, they knew they were being, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna take some Malcolm X language back to slave. They knew they were being bamboozled and hoodwinked, but what, what convicts me is how much literacy we have and how we put it to many things other than the scripture. Um, I know you and Blair are better than this. <laughs> Sometimes I open my eyes and I get the phone off the nightstand and hit Twitter and I look over at my wife and she laying in the bed with her phone like this, looking at Facebook. I know you and Blair are better than that, right? <laughs> and so it's not, the, the, the literacy is not valuing it daily. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Um, but again, I'm going to put some of that in the pulpit. When we preach, we teach people how to read the scripture. And you can listen to Christian radio or watch Christian TV and see a whole lot of things going on other than the proclamation of the word. Um, so if the, if the church world is lacking for expository preaching, consecutive exposition, going through books, let me encourage the believers to like 
encourage your friends in other churches and in other cities and other places. Encourage them to do expositional, consistent study of the Bible. Tell them when they're doing their devotions, don't just jump all over the place. Read through the Bible. Um, man, I'm a boring person. So uh, I'm 50, and when I was 22, somebody introduced me to the one-year Bible, which is just this little calendar that Tyndale laid out. as an Old Testament, New Testament reading of Psalms and the Proverbs. And so I've done the same devotional every year since I was 22. Isn't that boring? Um, but I tell you what, every time you read through the scripture, it twists you up in a whole different way. So um, it, it, we have to do that. Pastors have to value scripture. I mean, let me tell you the kind of church world we live in. Uh, I want to preach from Second uh, Timothy, uh, but for the sake of time, I won't read the whole scripture. Let me just read this verse. I mean... Have y'all, who's, heard, who's ever heard a preacher stand up and say, well, I ain't going to read my whole text for the sake of time. That, 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 that means that, like, Scripture is, like, not the center of what's going on. Cut out them stupid announcements. Awesome. We, we, we must read it. We've got to own it ourselves. And, and I, I do encourage you to have a plan. Uh, the Tyndale thing, that was just, that, that was just what I have. Um, uh, Robert Murray, Michelle, if, if, you, if you Google Bible reading plans, <laughs> a thousand things would come up. Uh, if you have that, um, if you have that, uh, U, if you have the U version, there's plans on the U version. If you have it on the U version, it pops you right into the, you can hook it up on your phone where it pops you right into the, right into the, um, right, right into the plan. So let me redeem my wife since I put her out there, Shy. Uh, so, but her Facebook is interrupted because her, her U version pops up her daily reading. <laughs> let me redeem my bride. <laughs> Yay, Patricia. All right. Um, so what specific scriptures have shaped your life. What has been some, some important um, scriptures in your, your life? Being arrogant and being prideful and going to Hampton University at HBCU where you get a lot of inf- affirmation. Growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, which was Chocolate City at that time, um, nothing broke me down like the simple declaration, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So my salvation narrative, my early discipleship narrative, all of that is shaped by you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And most of my ministry has been shaped, as you said in that introduction, by Jesus' prayer in John 17. Would you uh, pray for us as we want to apply, believe, um, and live in light of the sufficiency of Scripture? Our Father, we are thankful. I thank you for every speaker that has been here today and for the heart of this pastor and church to even have this type of gathering. I pray, Lord, that your church would value your word. In our world with so many distractions, I pray that your church would read your word. I pray we value your word more than Facebook and Twitter, more than cable news. 
Some Saturdays I watch football for 12 hours. I pray we would value your word more than college football. And then when we study, Lord, and learn your word, I pray that it might be able to check our reason, check our experiences, and check our tradition. Please give this to your people. Your word is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Please give this to your people. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. 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 Amen.